Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Our featured preacher for today is evangelist Larry Clayton. He is sent out of Cleveland Baptist Church. He's been in evangelism and church planning for 64 years. The Lord has allowed them, both he and his wife, to minister on over 70 mission fields. And he has a strong desire to see churches planted and also to see people uh, stirred up for the work of the ministry and for revival in America. Pray that the message today will be a, a blessing to you as you listen to the speaker today. One verse of scripture this morning in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. I was uh, born and raised in the uh, Miami River Valley in Ohio. We lived in a great big house on the side of a hill overlooking the river and the uh, creek that ran down to the side of our house. Out in the front yard, there was a great big spring of water where in the summertime, we would be uh, putting our watermelon to cool and the milk and the butter. That big old spring flowed out of the uh, bottom of a big elm tree and ran down across the field. In that big old house, we had a big, big old farmer's kitchen where my mother would um, cook uh, the meals on a, on a wood stove. If you've never tasted any biscuits cooked on a wood stove, you've never tasted any biscuits. And uh, she'd put them big old biscuits in the oven and cook them and then cover them with um, Jersey cow's butter and some wild bee honey. Uh, somebody, said that, uh, somebody said that if you put one of them biscuits on top of your head, Mrs. Clayton's biscuits that your tongue would beat out your brains trying to get to it. <laughs> I'd take one of them big old biscuits as a boy on that farm and I'd take a bite out of it and the first bite would be a half moon and the second bite a total eclipse. <laughs> in, that, in that house we had, a, we had a, a front room where we had a great big old what they call base burner stove night we'd hardly ever turn on the lights but sometimes we didn't even have electricity on the farm but the embers and the flames from that stove would light up the room and it was almost like an enchantment dream of a story that a child might read 
that farmhouse. We had a big old parlor in the front room, bedrooms upstairs, big old beautiful home. And in that home, we just had a heaven. I, my dad and mother were both Christians, and they, they lived for the Lord. My dad was a tither, and a tithe to his church, and uh, was a deacon, and served the Lord in his church. And my mother is the best Christian I believe I've ever known. And that was just a heaven in that house. But if somebody would have come into that house and would have said, now, we're going to change this house. Well, what we're going to do to this house is make it a highway house. We're going to put a bar over here and we're going to put a, a place for the harlots in the parlor and we're, we're going to, uh, down in the basement, we're going to sell narcotics and... Uh, and we're just going to turn this place into a saloon or a bar. My dad would have got his old Springfield single-barrel 12-gauge shotgun, and he'd have put more buckshot in that guy's hide than there was in gravel in the creek bed. He'd go on running down the road, I guarantee you that. Because we wouldn't want that house to be changed. I read a story one time about uh, a young man in Ireland. It was called How Green Was My Valley. And a story about a happy home and a good family and a brothers and sisters. And then, then things started to change. Uh, some of the kids left and went to America. And there was problems in the community. And there was heartbreaks. And where his father worked in the mine, there was a cave-in and his father was killed and he said in his in that book my valley used to be green and beautiful but now it's covered with slag and it's dead what used to be a garden is now a desert you know that would be a that would be paradise lost like milton wrote in his poetry indeed that would be paradise lost I know a man that lived in a foreign country. He was just a poor boy. His dad had always been a preacher, and he was a preacher's son. And he, he always said of himself, I was born on the other side of the mountain. Somehow God brought him to town, to the city, and, and there he started a little church. And, uh, and things went well for him, except there was no money and, and uh, there was hardly uh, enough food to eat. But God did blessings for him and God gave him a beautiful home by some foreigners came in and built it for him. A beautiful home and he built a great church for God. But in that country there was a dictator. He was an evil, wicked dictator. He used to go into villages and kill everybody. Women and kids all the animals, everything, make a wasteland out of a village that opposed him in any way. He was a sadistic killer. He was a madman killer. He had a lot of reputation in the world, but he was a wicked, wicked man. And he had a man that worked for him called a deputy. And that deputy went out to that preacher's house that sat on the side of the mountain, very beautiful view, he went out there and he kicked the preacher out. And he said, get out of here. And that deputy was the guy that did all the killing for the dictator. And he was a mean, mean man. And he kicked the preacher out. And he took over the family. And he took over the house. 
and he filled the basement full of liquor, and he it just made a brothel out of the whole house, and he and he uh, he, he stole the preacher's wife, and and he starved the preacher's kids almost to death, and the preacher he got up even in the senate and said, "I want somebody to kill this preacher, no matter what it takes. Kill him, kill him while he's preaching, if you can. There'll be a reward for you to do that." And the deputy, one day after saying that, got stomach pains and dropped over dead. And by the miracle of God, the preacher was allowed to go back to his house. His children were starved so badly that some of them had brain damage they never got over. His wife had to leave and she came to New York City. The preacher lost everything it seemed for those moments. Think about somebody coming into your nice house, your nice home, and taking it over. Well, God made the Garden of Eden a home for man. The garden didn't take up all of Eden, but he made a garden in the east of Eden. He made it beautiful. He must have peeked up the purple mountains with a tips of his fingers. He haloed those little mountains about with lacy little clouds. He caused the, the crystal clear stream to flow out of those mountains down through moss-covered banks where there were jungles of roses, pathless jungles of flowers without thorns and without curse. He placed in that garden a man and a woman, his wife. Oh, how beautiful they must have been. She must have been the most beautiful of all of God's creation because he kept the best for last. He caused them to live in that beautiful splendor and they were even able in the evening to walk and talk with God. God made all of that in beauty and splendor and loveliness. It was their house. It was their home. But sin came in. And sin changed. It changed that monarch, Adam, that God made to rule that garden. It changed him from a monarch to a monster. And the long lines of sin and evil came across their faces. And for the first time, they knew death and they knew murder even in their own household, and even in their own family. Oh, that house was changed. Hey, that home was changed. There were curses put upon them, and God said to Adam, Cursed be the ground for thy sake, Adam. Thorns and thistles it grew. And the whole animal kingdom experienced death. The lion didn't lay down with the lamb anymore, but the lion ate the lamb. All oh, that beautiful garden, it was, it was changed to a, to a, a, a monstrous uh, gully of wickedness and sin. And down tumbled all of man's fallen race into the abyss of ugliness and sin. Now womankind 
which was a queen on a throne in the garden, has become a harlot who stands at the end of the bar with a wet red faded dress and, and bleached blonde hair looking for another customer. What has man become? He's become the gangster. That, that rules uh, uh, over a, a, a whole volley of wickedness and sin and, and crime and evil. And, and we hear the sirens and we, we see the lights flashing and we know something's wrong with Adam's fallen race. And even though, no matter how the best of us can be, the best, we know that in, in the midst of the best, we see, we see stains of the worst in all of us. For Adam's fallen race tumbled from that beautiful garden, that paradise, down it fell into the abyss. Why? Because sin came into that house. Now in Matthew chapter 21, at verse 13, Jesus says that on the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, when he says it is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. My house, God's house. When Jesus went into Jerusalem and walked into that place, let me tell you, the Bible has a lot to say about Zion and the future and the greatness of Zion. The Bible has a lot to say about the glories of God in that place and all the marvelous things that God is doing and will do in that place. Let me tell you that that place, that Zion, that, that little mount uh, in the midst of Jerusalem, it doesn't belong to the Canaanites. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't belong to the Hittites. It, it doesn't belong to the Camelites. It doesn't belong to the Sodomites. It doesn't belong to any of the ites. It's his. He owns it. It belongs to him. And everybody else that's ever been there, no matter whether it be the Romans or the Babylonians or the Syrians or the Assyrians or, or uh, whether it might be the Phoenicians or, or, or whom it may be that have trespassed that place, let me tell you, it didn't belong to any of them. It has always belonged to God, and they've always trespassed that place. It doesn't belong to anybody today. It doesn't belong to the Jews that are there. It doesn't belong to the Palestinians. It certainly doesn't belong to the United Nations. It belongs to God. That's who it belongs to. And one of these days, the Lord is going to reestablish his house. It is the dream and has been the dream and the hope of Israel all along through its existence. The prophets, they all prophesied of a better time and a happier time when the Messiah would rule and reign in Zion and the whole world would be changed into the garden again. The pastor was reading this morning out of John chapter 14. For it says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Oh, God has got his beautiful mansions. There are many of them in heaven today. 
Somebody said to me one time, well, where is heaven? You know, there's a group of cultists called the Jehovah's Witnesses that believe it's, it's all going to be right here on earth. There are some people that believe that heaven is just a, a figment of your imagination. And whatever you dream up, if it's dreamed up good enough, why it's a, it's a beautiful, splendorous attitude in your mind that you can develop to where you're having heaven right here on this earth. Let me tell you something. The earth has never been as great as God's heaven. It isn't today. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. In the house of God, there are many mansions. He said, I go away to those mansions to prepare a place for you. You say, what is heaven, Brother Clayton? It's the mansions that Jesus spoke about before they ever started building New Jerusalem. It's the mansions that Jesus went to that he took uh, with him all of the, the Old Testament saints. It's the mansions that we go to when we die. That's heaven. That's the beauty of heaven, what I'm preaching about today. They're building New Jerusalem there right now. But it's where God's throne is. The Bible says Jesus is on that throne and that we're going to be able to see him someday. King of kings and Lord of lords. The majesty royal, the God of eternity. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that one of these days, Though the plan of God has been soiled, though the, the, the purpose of all of this has been aborted by mankind and his sins, one of these days, the Lord is going to come and he's going to take us children, our, the children of God out of here and we're going to go to those beautiful mansions and we're going to be up there with God and all the splendor that God had even before the world began. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 14. <clears throat> Give me the glory that I had with you before the world was ever made. In that beautiful, splendorous place where God's throne is. The Bible says that that throne is high and lifted up. And the Bible says that all of Adam's fallen race someday is going to be able to gather around that glorious place and sing the songs of Zion and shout the marvelous blessings of victory in Jesus Christ our Lord. Maybe the song we sung this morning will be one of those songs that we sing in that day. But a choir that no man could number. A beautiful place that no man could dream of. The Bible says that God is preparing us a place up there that man could never even even imagine, let alone speak or write down or even dream of this glory and splendor that God has given us or going to give us there. Now, I've seen some beautiful mansions on this earth. I saw the uh, Vanderbilt house down in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Biltmore Mansion. Absolutely indescribable. Vanderbilt bought 100,000 acres to build that house on. He ran a, a railroad the whole way from Charleston, South Carolina, up to uh, Asheville, North Carolina, to bring just the materials in to build that house. He hired a 1,000 carpenters and told those carpenters that money was not even to be considered he wanted the very best of everything. 
On that 100,000 acres, they cut down black walnut trees just to use the wood inside of the first floor. Inside it, he, he filled it full of the best antiques and the best uh, furniture that money could buy at that time. I mean, there's things like, there's a chessboard in there that, uh, that Napoleon used to play his, his officers on. I mean, there's all kinds of things like that. Handmade. His bed was uh, made out of uh, ebony, hand-carved ebony. The, the library had 10,000 books of the best books in the world. He built all of that for he, his wife, and his daughter to live in. The bottom floor had an Olympic-sized swing, swimming pool, a bowling alley, and every kind of a recreation you can imagine. They built a, they built a great big building, just a, just a flower shop next door, to grow flowers in a greenhouse that covered I don't know how many acres just so that there could be fresh flowers in every room every morning. Now that's what man can build. And they say that it's not yet the greatest mansion that is ever built in the world. There are some that are more splendorous than that. Hey, if man can do that, if man can do that with a thousand carpenters, what do you think God can do with unlimited power, with unlimited knowledge, with, with unlimited love, what can God do for his children? Oh, Satan soiled the Garden of Eden. But God's got a better plan. It's the glories of heaven where we shall be reestablished even greater than anything lost in the Garden. In fact, one old preacher said, whatever we lost in the Garden, we gained repeatedly by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah to God. God's got a better plan. God's got a perfect, perfect plan. It's described in Revelation, uh, back in the back of your Bibles, Revelation chapter 20 and 21. It talks about that beautiful place and how that God is going to reestablish all the marvelous things that was lost by sin. In fact, the matter is, the Bible says that that in the Revelation uh, chapter uh, 20 and verse 3, and, and, uh, and the Bible says, well, verse 2, and he laid a hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a little season. You see, after Jesus comes and takes us up into heaven, where we'll have fellowship with him for seven years, he's going to bring us all back from heaven, back down to this earth, and we're going to rule with him and reign for a thousand years. You can read it, if you would, in verse 6, when you have time. We're going to rule and reign with Christ a thousand years, right here on this earth. The curse is going to be lifted. When the lion will lay down with the lamb, and men shall take their swords and beat them into plowshares. Oh, what a time it's going to be when the Lord rules and reigns from Zion. And in that day when he comes and with his saints marches up again into that temple area of Jerusalem, 
and establishes his kingdom there again, we shall be with him and we shall have the privilege of involving ourselves with him in the beauty and glory that this world will be even greater than it's ever been before. Because he's going to take his house and he's going to redo his house. I remember as a boy when our house on the old river road was very much like the Garden of Eden or like the book How Green Is My Valley. I remember when our family in joy and happiness were together in that home singing songs, playing instruments, eating the best food that's ever been cooked on earth, I thought. But sin came into that family. I saw my brothers and sisters in divorce. Drunkenness. And terrible problems. I've gone to bed at night listening to my mother weep and go to sleep hearing her sobs to wake up in the morning and find her pillow covered with her tears. Boy, what that does to a family, what that does to a home. These little children that have to grow up and live in a split divorced home, go through agonies, that if... uh, if it was inflicted upon them physically by some stranger, the stranger would go to jail, but somehow the parents get by with inflicting those kind of problems on their kids. I saw our homes split asunder with problems and heartaches. That wasn't the happiness in singing anymore. At the supper table, instead of us all trying to out-talk everybody else. It was quiet and silent. And then the war came and our boys started marching off to war. I saw the Greyhound bus take my brothers down the highway to the place of training and then I heard about the boats that took them overseas to fight in the wars. As a lad, my heart was broken. Great disappointments came to me. But then I remember the boys coming home again. Happiness was in our family again. The hurts had been healed. The bruises were no longer there. And the happiness returned. I can remember a revival when some of our family got saved. And I can remember preaching when uh, the altars would be full of them praying. And I can can look now with hope in my heart and say, I believe that I'm going to see every one of my brothers and sisters in heaven someday because the work of God that God had done in their lives. Well, I'll tell you, you read Revelation 20 and 21 and you see what God reestablishes here on this earth and the new Jerusalem that is brought down out of heaven where the streets are made of gold, 
where the Bible talks about there are no tears and no death, no pain. In that place, there'll be no need for hospitals. Why? There won't be any need for doctors or nurses, nor medicines. There is no sickness, no sorrow, no death in that place. There'll be no need for crying. There'll be no need for cemeteries. There'll be no need for policemen. There'll be no need for sirens. There'll be no need for armies. There'll be no need for guns and tanks. Because the Lord is going to rule in Zion. And he's going to be the king. The Bible talks about a beautiful place where a fountain will break up in Jerusalem. A fountain that's going to be so much water flowing like the river of life down through even to the place where it's going to make the Mediterranean fresh and, the, and it's going to fill the whole valley of the Dead Sea and God's people are going to be able to bathe their fevered brows in the water of life that flows from that fountain. The Bible says that God is going to make it all over again so beautiful so that the book of Revelation says that the greatest reward that any man can have in that day is going to be able to go to New Jerusalem and never leave. Can you imagine that? Go to New Jerusalem and never leave. What a city that must be. All the universe, the whole universe, is going to be lit and heated by the power plant that's in that city. Can you imagine how big the sun is? It only heats and, and lights up our little galaxy. And then only half of the moon and half of the earth, half of the time. But God's going to light the whole universe. He's going to heat the whole universe from that one power source in, 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 in the New Jerusalem. And the Bible says that that power source is the Lord Jesus himself and the light that, arose, that, uh, that comes from his face. The Bible says that God is going to establish his throne and that all of Adam's fallen race is going to be able to gather around that throne and we're going to be able to sing a brand new song that nobody has ever sung before and have a brand new name upon us that nobody knows. In that day when the glories of God shines brighter than anything we have ever known, I wish I had the time today to try to describe it to you and tell you all about it, but I must say this. Boy, heaven and New Jerusalem and the thousand-year reign of Christ, which is all in the future for us, maybe this year, I don't know, but it's more glorious than any man could ever describe. Sin has come into our race, but in that day, there'll be no more sinning. Oh, how glorious that's going to be. Let me ask you a question this morning. If that would start this morning, right now, would you be ready? I mean, if Jesus would come back, he said, 
Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, but I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He's going to come again. And when he comes back, he's going to gather all of his born-again Christians, and we're going to be taken up into heaven around God's throne. We're going to be there until we come back to this earth for that millennial reign, and then to establish here on this earth the glories that God had already planned all before the world began, the glories of God to be shown here. I'm going to be in all of that. You know why? Because I've accepted the blood of Jesus Christ as a cleansing from all of my sins. And that makes me born again. That gives me a birth in the family of God. Let me ask you something today. Do you know the Lord? Have you taken Him as your Lord and Savior? Have you turned to Him with repentance from your sins toward Him, the Savior, to seek Him with all of your heart? The Bible says when you seek Him, you'll find Him if you seek Him with all of your heart. Somebody said that God is just one prayer away. I believe that. I believe that just reaching out to the Lord with your faith and your prayer, God will reach out to you and will pull you up to his heart, and he'll kiss away those stains and sins, he'll wipe away the wickedness of your heart, and he'll claim you as his own, and he'll kiss away the tears, and he'll call you by name, and you'll be a child of God. The Bible calls that being born again. Are you born again today? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. If you don't, I'm going to invite you to come to Him. Right where you are. You don't have to go home and get yourself better and try to spruce yourself up and come and present yourself to God uh, better than you are right now. You don't have to do that. Like the old song says, just as I am, I come, I come. If you come to Jesus Christ just as you are, Jesus will save you and he'll make you to be just what he wants you to be if you'll come to him and ask him to save you and forgive you of your sins. Well, I remember that day when I did that. I'd been praying all winter in that old farmhouse that Jesus Christ would wash away my sins and give me everlasting life. But somehow I had not come to know him as my Savior. Until one night in a meeting like this. When I heard the old gospel singers sing and the old fashioned preachers preach. And they stood to sing, Oh, do not let the word depart, nor close thine eyes against the light. Poor sinner, harden not your heart. Be saved tonight. That night I walked down the aisle and I knelt at the altar. And I said, Jesus, do something for me that I cannot do for myself. Oh, God, save me from my sins. I've tried to be Mama's good boy. I've tried to be the best I can be. I want to be a good example of the church that I'm a member of. But I wasn't. I was lost and in my sins. But that night, at a little rickety altar where the carpet was worn through on a little old country church, Jesus Christ reached down and saved me. 
He wants to do that for you today. If you'll trust him as your Savior, he'll do that for you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. While our heads are bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I'd like to ask you a few questions, if I may. Have you trusted the Lord as your Savior? How many of you here today say, Brother Clayton, I know without a doubt that I'm a child of God. I know without a doubt that I'm born again and saved. You could slip up your hand as a testimony this morning and say, I know Christ as my Savior and Lord. Hold it up today. Oh, that's hands all over the audience. Thank God for that. Praise God for that. Isn't that a wonderful hope that we have in Christ? Wow. Heaven's going to be our home forever. And we're going to be near Jesus Christ forever. You see, when he comes and gets us and takes us out of here, we're never going to be away from him again. Wherever he goes, we're going to go. And whatever he does, we're going to do. And the Bible says we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the Word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the Word and hearing the Word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.